Welcome to Ring of Fire. I'm Sam Cedar. Today on Ring of Fire, MSNBC host and author Dylan Radigan will join us to discuss his new book, Greedy Bastards. University of Maryland professor and author Mark Feldstein will be joining us to talk about how muckraking journalists used to help expose political scandals rather than helping to cover them up. Third-party presidential candidate Rocky Anderson will tell us why he's challenging President Obama for the progressive vote in America. Mother Jones's Andy Kroll will tell us about the dark money that's influencing the GOP primary results. And George Washington University professor John Sides will tell us which candidate voters think will take care of the middle class the best. We encourage all of our listeners to follow Ring of Fire on Facebook and Twitter at Ring of Fire Radio. You can also email us your thoughts on this week's show to info at ringoffireradio.com. And you can help support progressive media by subscribing to our podcast. Just go to our blog at ringoffireradio.com to sign up. And if you want to help support Ring of Fire, you can sign up online at ringoffireradio.com. It's your support that helps keep us on the air. This hour of Ring of Fire is brought to you by the law offices of Howard L. Nations, a national trial firm with clients in all 50 states. For a free legal consultation, contact the Nations Law Firm at 1-800-269-3050 or visit their website at www.howardnations.com. We appreciate your support. So, uh, Bobby, let me first, by starting, uh, before we get into uh, the week's news, by uh, welcoming you back. Uh, you've been uh, on an extended uh, hiatus over the past couple well, you, of weeks. You guys never called me to do the radio show. <laughs> but I was traveling. I was in Europe. I was in the Mideast. I was in China. And I mainly have been spending most of my time trying to put money together to fund the green energy economy. Because we have a Congress now that is blocking everything, including the production tax credits, which is the whole reason that we have a wind energy uh, system in this country. We have a wind energy now in the United States that employs more people than coal mining. The solar industry employs twice the number of people as coal mining. This year, renewables surpass nuclear energy last month in the amount of BTUs that it supplies to the, in other words, power units that it supplies to the people of the United States of America. So, and, you know, we've we passed all these critical milestones. For example, last year we built more solar power and more wind power in this country, more generation than all of the incumbents combined, gas, oil, coal, and nuke. And that is a critical milestone in the displacement of incumbent technologies or incumbent players by disruptive technologies. So we're seeing this happen. We're seeing the market drive it there. But, you know, really, one thing that, that green technology needs is investment dollars, and they can't get access to it. And so we can't get access to it inside the United States. A lot of that money is now going for fracking, and the rest of it's going for to, you know, to fund the war and to fund our oil addiction. It's really it's a bad thing for our country. So we have to go to China. We have to go to Qatar, you know, which is an oil nation, but it has a very, very progressive regime, which actually, as you know, Sam, it runs Al Jazeera. The emir of Qatar is very democratic, and he's, he's basically responsible for the Arab Spring in many ways because he funded Al Jazeera as a tool 
to wedge democracy into the Mideast, and he wants to use the oil money of his country to transform the world into a green energy economy. But it's kind of it's kind of sad that we have to go to the Mideast and go to China and go to Europe to get money to fund the green tech industry in the United States of America. Bobby, isn't that what, when we hear of this, you know, sort of the so-called supposed uh, scandal that was Solyndra, which in fact was uh, nothing more than the U.S. government functioning uh, like it always has, which is to uh, promote uh, certain industries and promoting, and I should say promoting, but not necessarily ahead of the promotion that it's been giving uh, oil companies and coal companies in the form of subsidies for years upon years. And uh, this is something that will actually benefit the economic health and the, the arguably the national security of the country going forward. Well, you know, Solyndra, which has been much ballyhooed by the Republicans as a failure of the Obama administration, and it's a bad bet on on private industry and as as interference in the free market capitalism, as if there were a free market in the energy space. There isn't. It's all about subsidies. Terry Tamanen, who just stepped down as head of California EPA, has written a book called Lives Per Gallon, in which he meticulously and scrupulously inventories this vast list of subsidies, this raft of subsidies that we hand over the federal government and federal taxpayers and the citizens of the United States hand over to big oil every year. And it amounts, if you include all of the externalities, including the oil spills and the cost of the war in Iraq and the $100 billion we spend in military expenditures annually to protect the Persian Gulf pipelines, if you add all those together, the health care costs $345 billion a year in respiratory injury from, from burning oil in this country. All of those costs amount to about $1.3 trillion, which functions as a subsidy for big oil. It's the most highly subsidized and the most profitable industry in the history of mankind. And they use a large part of those subsidies to fund the Republican Party. And it's you know the reason that the Koch brothers have been able to basically control the Republican Party, but fund the Tea Party, and then use that cohort on Capitol Hill to fund the Republican Party. And you I know, gotta tell you, Bobby, this is the thing that drives me crazy, is because the Koch brothers ostensibly promote this notion of uh, free market, of uh, libertarianism, the idea that government shouldn't be choosing, picking, uh, picking winners and losers, but in fact, the government and every government since the beginning of time picks winners and losers with their policies. Some uh, these uh, some come in the form of loan guarantees, some come in the form of direct subsidies, some come in the form just in terms of uh, broader policies that pick winners and losers. We see winners and losers with the, uh, the difference between capital gains uh, tax and, and income tax, but uh, the Koch brothers have their, their billions of dollars their 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 income growth has been exponential over the past 10 years. I mean, going from, you know, uh, tens of billions of dollars to literally hundreds of billions of dollars of wealth. And it's all been a function of they're just getting out there and arguing that uh, ostensibly they're arguing that government shouldn't pick winners and losers because they know that they can uh, fool the American public into to not realizing who really are the winners in this game. Right. I mean, it was the oil industry that working with government 
that destroyed electric-driven public transportation in this country and built the highway system, which was, you know, which was a, a, a federal government built the highway system, which was a which was a kind of a subsidy to the oil industry in many ways. They built the canal system, they built the railroad system, they put built the airport system, and you know, when doing one, there were winners and losers in each of those bets. So the the government builds the infrastructure. They built the internet system in our country. And each one of those decisions produces winners and losers. But the biggest winner throughout history has been the oil industry, which is the most highly subsidized industry. And any economist will tell you that the true cost of oil, if we were paying the true cost of oil in our country, we'd be paying what the Europeans were are paying, which is about 14 or $15 a gallon at the pump. You are paying it, but you're paying it in taxes. And you're paying it in health care costs and you're paying it in local taxes for road costs and, you know, all of these other subsidies and the, for the military. But it's hidden. It's concealed. The true cost of oil is concealed from the American people. So in it and that we're sending distorted signals to the marketplace because of those subsidies. And if they were paying the true cost of oil, if we were paying that at the pump, nobody would be driving an internal combustion engine. We'd all have shifted electric cars a long time ago because they cost six cents a mile to drive, where an internal combustion engine costs 60 cents a mile to drive. And if they were paying the true cost of oil, they'd be paying about a buck fifty a mile. So it's all about the, the Koch brothers have profited by controlling the political process. They've been able to maintain this flow of subsidies. They've been able to maintain their power and their perks, and they are fighting like hell to keep these disruptive technologies like electric cars, like wind and solar that are much more efficient than they are out of the marketplace. We right. can now and why wouldn't they? Because they're gonna be the primary beneficiaries. We gotta take a break. We'll be right back. We'll pick up where we left off. to Ring of Fire. I'm Sam Cedar. Remember, if you want to help support Ring of Fire, you can sponsor an hour of our show. You can sign up online at ringoffireradio.com. This hour of Ring of Fire is brought to you by the law offices of Howard L. Nations, a national trial firm with clients in all 50 states. For a free legal consultation, contact the Nations Law Firm at 1-800-269-3050 or visit their website at www.howardnations.com. We appreciate your support. Now let's get back to the news of the week. Bobby, we were talking in the last segment about the idea that uh, government uh, picks winners and losers, and I had mentioned the capital gains tax as a prime example of that, and that's back into the news because of um, Mitt Romney's uh, tax forms. But before we get to that, you wrote a piece uh, that uh, showed up on the Huffington Post uh, about Mitt Romney, and particularly uh, it started off with his son, Making uh, saying that uh, the tax forms will be released, I think, when um, when President Obama released his birth certificate. Is that is that what it was? Yeah, and it was kind of a joking or a half joking remark by Matt Romney, who is one of Mitt's sons, at a at a press conference in in New Hampshire. And the you know one of the things I pointed out is that this is a a sensitive issue, particularly for the Romney family, because George Romney, when he ran for president, had was plagued by and hounded by his own birther movement because he had been born in Mexico. 
And incidentally, John McCain was not born in this country. He was born in Panama. This is one of the reasons why clearly there's a racial component here because the birther issue really emphasized the kind of otherness of our first African-American president because the Republicans and Tea Party people were not bothered by the fact that their 2008 nominee, John McCain, was not even born in this country. And George Romney was born in Mexico where his grandfather fled with his five wives to escape the polygamy laws in the United States. And George Romney, when he ran for president, he was actually a fantastic candidate. He was vocally against the Vietnam War. He said that the military-industrial complex had lied to the American public and brainwashed the American public about the war in Vietnam. He was one of the strongest governors, Republican or Democrat, in this country fighting for civil rights. He believed in strong unions. And he, he, and he, criticized, fought, he, did, he fought for civil rights despite the fact that the Mormon church was pressuring him heavily not to support civil rights. And he got out there. He was on the streets of Detroit marching with people. That's right. And he was, you know, he was really, he was an extraordinary character. And he he really put himself online on that issue. And, And he went, he had been president of American Motors, but during the campaign and during his political life, he criticized the big three in Detroit for building cars that he described as gas-guzzling dinosaurs, and he said that they have to look toward the future. And, you know, so he was really, he was fantastic. He was driven out of the campaign by Richard Nixon's uh, supporters, and he was forced to, to withdraw from the campaign. But I think the big question for Mitt is whether he's going to maintain that integrity and, you know, that his his family at one time stood for, or whether he's going to go in another direction. And this week, Mitt released his his tax returns well just 2010 but you know before i you know i gotta say i don't know that it's really an open question as to whether or not he's going to maintain uh, his family's <laughs> integrity you know uh rick perlstein had a great piece in uh, rolling stone magazine uh saying that um you know and of course this is you know it's tough to get into people's heads but he's saying that uh, the one lesson that Mitt Romney seemed to learn from his father, his father's principled stands on these things, is that it's not effective politically. And that uh, so that when he gets out there, uh, Mitt Romney tries to be uh, all things to all people. But you're right, this week he, he released only his 2010 tax returns. His, know, father, his father incidentally released 12 years of tax returns. He said because one year might be a fluke. And uh, right. so he's really coming back to haunt his son. And I think one year probably is a fluke. But let's talk about what's actually in there before we even talk about any speculation as to why he's only releasing one year. You have a guy who made twenty one million dollars in 2010 and paid thirteen point nine percent tax on this. All the while, the one thing that he's probably said in this campaign that is undeniable and is factually uh, established is that he was unemployed. He's unemployed. So he's sitting there collecting a check, a $21 million check. He's getting about $2 million, close to $2 million a month, and he pays $3 million on taxes on that without working. And the question is, the question I think that I hope, you know, we will hear more of, from uh, President Obama as this goes on, is why is this country, why do we value the non-work involved in sitting at home and opening up an envelope from investments that you made that money, which wasn't even yours. You know, he was investing other people's money at Bain Capital. Why is this guy paying 
less than 15% in taxes, whereas if he was to go out and work as a school bus driver, he would be paying more than that on his wages. Well, you know, the, the odd thing is also that Mitt Romney is most criticized by conservatives for refusing to adopt the Republican orthodoxy that there should be zero taxes on stock dividends and zero estate taxes. He's refused to do that because I think, you know, all the other candidates have said you should never pay. You shouldn't have to pay at all for for investment, you know, the investment credits, investment dividends. And the argument is this, and, it, you know, it's a, in some ways, it's a coherent argument, at least. It says that the corporation that earned those profits has already paid its share of the taxes on those profits. Therefore, the owners of the corporation, the private individuals who are the shareholders, shouldn't have to pay again. And the Republicans call that double taxation. And it's a legitimate issue. But I don't think it's a it's a good issue. Bobby, we've got to take a break. But when we come back, I have a counter to that argument. The idea that uh, double taxation is somehow uh, unique or wrong. Uh, we can bring that up uh, when we come back because we got more to talk about with Mitt Romney's taxes. I'm Mike Papantonio, and you've been listening to a free sample of Ring of Fire Radio. If you'd like to listen to the full show, subscribe to our weekly podcast at our website at ringoffireradio.com. It's your support that helps keep us on the air.